so half-assed that Matt had to stop the recording and start in again. So you don't, you don't suffer through, listeners, you don't suffer through what I do. Um, this is a very highly produced and edited show. Podcasting means never having to say you're sorry. <laughs> uh, where we subject Gossip Girl and Glee and over the summer, the British import skins uh, to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I am Matthew Rather. With me is Ryan Sheely. That's right. I'm bringing the shrillness from Cambridge, Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> and I am here at the edge of America, uh, Los Angeles, California. You may have heard of it. It's in Los Angeles. So today, uh, uh, on tap for today is uh, Skin Series 2, Episode 4. That's the Michelle uh, the Michelle episode. We've been going along with one uh, Skins episode per week, and I think I think we're going to continue that. Isn't that right, Ryan? Or do we need to step up the uh, do we need to step up the pace in order to make the premiere of Gossip Girl and Glee? I think we're good. We'll have to do at some point. We'll have to double up, probably, um, and we'll we'll let we'll let y'all know when that happens. That's what she um, said. <laughs> um, wait, have there been any threesomes in 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 Skins? Um, OM3. No, that's what I'm saying, right? Because you kind of get basically a... I mean, we've talked about this a little bit before um, when we were starting off with skins. Is that there's like a litany of things that happen in like teen drama and teen teen fiction, teen soap operas. Um, of like, there's drug use, maybe death of a parent. Um, you know, there's sex of various kinds. Uh, there's homosexuality. Um, you know, and skins there's non-oriented sexuality. Non-oriented sexuality. That's right. There's there's both um, major life events and and uh, invented sociological concepts um but it's interesting because skins really seems to tick them all off i mean we have a spoiler alert pregnancy coming up it's jow you know we have a death coming up it's chris but i don't know if there's any threesomes in the in the cards for for skins maybe they maybe effie uh needs that i mean there was uh there was kind of there was implied threesome i mean there was uh, you know a date rape alicious uh threesome this you know what this is the thing and i hate wait wait be- which one was the date rape alicious threesome the effie, the effie episode in the first oh uh, yeah 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 I, yeah I, with with jenny uh in gossip girl and with effie in skins like i that's the one thing i am not often shocked you know ryan will attest to this but the the casual way uh date rape is deployed as a narrative device to you know i either to make someone seem bad or to sort of put uh, to put a young woman in peril, you know, mm-hmm. this is uh, this is very cynical, and it's. Uh, I mean, are we so um, are we so jaded that th- that this is what it takes, or that this? Is well, it is. It is because I've. I, there's very few things that I hear moral outrage from you on, and the fact that this is one of them shows that they're doing something right. Um, <laughs> here's the here's the moral outrage. It, you know, it's actually it's actually less. Uh, it, here's what the, the moral outrage specifically is about: the cynical deployment of it's meta. It's meta outrage, right? To to, um, <laughs> to kind of score narrative points on the cheap. You know? Well, also, you don't like it that they made you feel uncomfortable. Um, you're, you're, you're not used to that feeling. And so, so it could be that you're, you're rationalizing it as moral outrage, but you're really just angry that something actually can shock you, um, that, you that you can feel at all. <laughs> I, yeah, no, like like Chuck Bass, I I've opened my heart, and uh, and once it's open, there's no shutting it again. It's like Pandora's box, right? <laughs> um, yes. Well, All right. So let's so do- well, here's the thing. So speaking of um, no, I'm in charge. Speaking no. Of- Speaking of coercive sexual situations, Michelle and Tony, right? Uh, um, 
Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll pause uh, only to say that um, there's a there's an email address which is TFT Podcast. We love getting your emails. We often read them. Um, we're not going to today, mostly because we're lazy. But we love but we love your emails. We should double up on some episodes just so that we can spend alternating episodes reading uh, listener emails. We also love the voicemails which come into twenty fat jog zero one. That's two zero three two eight five six four zero one. You can also text us at that address. We also usually get into pretty good uh, pretty good uh discussions in the comment threads on the show notes so uh so tony riri tony is uh <laughs> he's less and less riri. i think he's about one re right now right <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking i was thinking we should t- we should put the title of the episode in re riri tony <laughs> No, I think what's interesting about Riri Tony, right? Well, there's, I mean, we can we can parse this scene a little more. I mean, uh, there's, I think there's a lot of interesting things going on in this episode, right? So some of the Skins episodes, I don't know what you do, but I actually, um, some Skins episodes I actually wa- watch twice because I actually think there's more that, like, there's a lot of subtle things that go on that get missed if you're kind of watching while you're doing other stuff um, or you're kind of uh, hanging out. But, like, the Michelle one especially has had a lot of these like long quiet moments and lots of like setups um right so the um like the the michelle episode starts off with she's like walking down the street um by tony's house and gets a text message from him that what is what is it like sexy top yeah sexy red top sexy red top uh so please please uh to, to 20 fat Drago one please text us uh sexy things about what we're wearing um tell us tell us what we're wearing yeah i'm sorry um, i'm sorry that i didn't get in the email i didn't get any sheely stokes slash fic i was i i was looking forward to some uh some sheely some, stokes some slash some, fic. some beard on beard action um, <laughs> Um, so yeah. like, so uh, we're unsure, is this going to be like a creepy stalker thing? And then it turns out that, you know, it's Tony at the second floor window looking down on Michelle as she walks through the street. And I, you know, I don't know. Did Michelle not know that she was walking down Tony's street? I guess maybe she didn't expect a text message from Riri Tony. Like his oh, fingers. I, I, th- I thought she was kind of stalking. I actually thought she was kind of almost hanging around wanting to be seen, right? I mean, a lot of Michelle's episode... Um, and her character is about wanting to be seen, right? A lot of her, a lot of her character. What she says to Jal in the, in Jal's episode when she's uh, sort of tarting Jal up for the party, right? Is um, uh, look, I'm good at looking shaggable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that a lot of this this episode is about you know both be like seen and being seen, right? Or I guess it's about being seen, right? Um, it's almost the uh, the inverse of the sketch episode, which is about seeing, which right. is about like the 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 uh, a- the act of uh, of observation of surveillance, um, and so this is this is about the you know wanting to be on the other side of the camera of the other side of the eye, right? And um, and and so I think that she wants to be seen, right? Um, is is how I read that. Um, but I think, and what's interesting, there's something interesting going on about Tony, right? So there's kind of a little bit of a reprise of the um, of, of the scene from the sketch episode where uh, they try to, um, where she tries to seduce him, and his his junk's not working, right? Um, and but what's interesting, right, is that there's. I mean, it seems like more of Tony is coming back than he's letting on, right? He's, it seems that they're starting to like be incomplete information again, and, and we're seeing a little bit of old Tony coming back, right? Of of manip- manipulating people through strategic like uh, revelation of information. In this case, about the extent to which whether he is or is not Riri, right? Um, and you say this because like he certainly knows how to send a a flirty text message, right? Um, right yeah. Like, like soft. It's like, I don't know. It's like, it's like soft. It's, it's, no, no, no. I'm, I'm trying to think of like what, like sexting, but like for not sex, it's like, it's like grexting. It's like gropey yeah. texting. <laughs> like, um, or, or fre- frexting. It's frotage texting or <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then US, USOB texting. US, yes. USOB. It's totally, it's totally under the shirt over the bra. Uh, it's just a good, <laughs> 
Uh, it's a good um, tweet. That was. I, I want to tell the story of that, right? I, I think that's a good. Ryan and I were briefly involved in a uh, in an an, early, an, emo, an emo band, an emo band together. Called, and this was this was back in the days of like, oh oh, what is it called? They they recorded Constantine. Um, what's the name of the band? Constantine uh, comes down the stairs. Oh, 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 um, um, uh, something corporate. Yes, right. And, uh, uh, and brand, brand new, taking back Sunday, yeah. saves the day. This kind of, like, right before, like, the, the Fallout Boy Panic at the Disco bubble. Right. Um, <laughs> bubble. Um, um, so this, this was the stage of emo, and the band was called Wingman. And mm-hmm. we had a, uh, uh, we had a, we had a couple songs, and one of them was called um, uh, "USOB" under the shirt, over the bra, and That's it was right. about it was about that particular moment in in you know junior high or high school where you uh, uh, well where you're you're un- it was under the sweater un- under the sweater yeah. bum 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 over the bra yeah right it's about it's of course it's about that is it's it's about being in a liminal space right <laughs> <laughs> it is absolutely it's, you know it's interesting that you know even that with that that was probably what about five probably about five years ago that's right? about Four, right five years ago um and so it's interesting i've not thought about that until this moment but there's actually similar preoccupations uh, in that artistic project and this one in which we're engaged right <laughs> now. you know like all like uh, following a classical trajectory used to be in an emo band and now we're in an experimental noise collective <laughs> <laughs> right and yet it's the way in which we work out our conceptual ideas about about that um, uncomfortable space between childhood and adulthood. <laughs> about the veiny, about the, the the veiny intermediate region. <laughs> yeah, it's really all it's really all about liminal spaces. I'll tell you what, right? What, what's teenagehood about? But what about the the vast taint of life? Um, <laughs> well, this is actually, I mean, and we're we are far from we we were talking about romanticism and. Um, uh, we were talking about romanticism and and uh, German romanticism, I guess, uh, on the last podcast. And, mm-hmm. But this is something that, like the the English romantics, the poets were really concerned mm-hmm. with 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 this idea of these kind of these moments of experience that are really decisive, that are really influential, but that are fleeting. You know that and sort of being being under the shwer, uh, being under the sweater but over the bra. You know what I mean? Like uh, when a girl lets you like uh, like feel her boob, but not actually feel her boob, just feel the. Outside of her bra, like that is, you know, in a way, there's a certain beauty to that moment because you're you're part way there. You you know what I mean? And, and you're, you're you're living on a prayer, in fact. <laughs> and, and you know you can't. You know, eventually you're you're going to you know uh, feel the full boob, right? Like it, it's it's bound to happen eventually. But like for that fleeting moment, you're, you're there's there's a mo- there's a moment that is a liminal moment, a moment in between. Um, uh, and and it's it's funny because there's a there's a kind of like beauty. There's a kind of uh, almost anguish beauty to those things because they are um uh they're so sort of decisive in your personality and yet and yet you can't hold on to them they're you know as soon as they're born they die uh those moments and this is something that like ode on a grecian urn you know by keats is is all about like kind of capturing the idea of of on the grecian urn that love story is arrested in that kind of in that moment of of most climactic bliss you know like uh forever forever wilt thou love and she be fair Um, right so like so only if if only uh, Sid and uh, Sid and Michelle boning on the beach could be like like permanently uh, on the side of a, a piece of pottery. Um. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, if you've seen some, you know, if you've seen them in school, you probably haven't seen the good ones. But uh, you know, if you look at the Greek pottery, it's it's hard on city on uh, you know on, on the um, on the side of on the side of those things, or you know, like. Um, uh, oh, more Keats, like on uh, on melancholy, right? Like uh, the last the last thing is um, uh, she she dwells in beauty, beauty that must die, and joy, whose hand is ever at his lips, bidding adieu. You know, an aching pleasure night that turns to poison or turning to poison as the bee mouth sips. I in the very temples of delight, veiled melancholy has her sovereign shrine. Um, the, the idea that the, these moments have their own destruction. Uh, kind of built within them, if only, and this here's where I bring it full circle, um, if only uh, because um, uh, 
because you're not going to stay under the sweater over the bra. You're eventually going to go under the bra uh, as well, and you can't go back. You know, to those, to those times. <laughs> Once again, just like Pandora's box, if you will. <laughs> that's, I guess that's another area. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, USOP, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, it's just interesting. I, I just want to go back to like you know how it's interesting that you're. And I just want to make something explicit that you've been kind of um, um, like talking around is um, that there's this connection um, between the English Romantics and emo music, right? Sure. No um, and it and it makes it makes it makes complete sense. Um, and it, you know, saying it out loud, it almost seems too obvious to to say. But I mean, it's worth it's worth thinking through. And it's, um, I mean, among who uh, who among whom were the English Romantics popular? I don't know much about the social context of the poetry. I mean, was it um, like you know just young adults? Like, what was the culture of poetry in that time? I mean, was it? Uh, did teenagers were teenagers into it, or was there not? There was there not yet an auto, autonomous realm of teenagerhood. Um, to there was like, not yet. Yeah, Te- teenagerhood. Uh, I think had not. Uh, teenagerhood is a, is a creation of. Um, well, childhood is a creation of industrialization, and teenagerhood is a creation, in a way, of of the depression in America. At least uh, according to some some social history that I've been that I've encountered recently. Um, but that what's what's that argument? I'm not actually familiar with that the argument. Idea is, that the, is that the depression um, uh, made home life so miserable that uh, uh, kids would get out of the house, right? Oh, um, interesting. You know interesting. That, that families were kind of families lacked the means to like go out and do things or to have more space, so everyone was kind of like clustered around the living room, and so teenagers left and kind of created this autonomous. Uh, teenage space you know that huh. was um and and maybe that doesn't say if there's any you know anyone who does sort of serious social history of america in the 20th century like uh m- maybe that is just a myth and it and it'll be shattered but you know the, the so no yeah i mean chi- childhood was not um was not what we think of it today as but here's the thing about the romantics they they spend a long period of time and mm-hmm. uh, you know i mean really the the whole 18th century you know from right from goethe you know all the way to i don't know wagner or something like that or you know i don't know the death of verdi or something like in in uh what 1900 right um so there were like uh, uh, Wordsworth and Coleridge, but then they right. were the old fuddy duddies, and along came you know Keats, and along came Byron, and it, it really went went playwright by playwright. Like by the time that Wordsworth was respectable, Byron was the sort of bad boy, uh, you know, mm-hmm. sort of punk esque. Um, thing whose wife divorced him because she she uh, because he he made her have butt sex. Wow! Little, little known fact, or I—I I don't know. It is—it's a well-known fact, but you may not have encountered it if the only place you study these people is in school. That's why. Uh, that's why uh, he lost his wife because he made, and I think at the time it was put uh, his like sodomistic demands on her. <laughs> you know, um, huh? Uh, yeah. It's really interesting. Um, but right, so <laughs> he wasn't—he wasn't USOB. No, yeah, he's just he's just right in there. Um, <laughs> um, well, that's really interesting because it is. So, what's interesting there about that is that some of these sentiment, although some of these ideas about you know these um, these these fleeting moments, these sort of transitory moments, and and these these kind of liminal spaces in one's like sort of emotional life, um, you know, we associate that I think a lot with teenagers right yeah. i mean you can find a lot of that i mean less so in gossip girl um because gossip girls a show about power but in glee and um i think especially in in skins you see see that a lot more here's um, the sense where you see it in gossip girl um you know, Derrida writes about uh, about a fantasy of completion uh, in structure, sign, and play, right? Like, he writes about a fantasy of, of completion, the origin and the end of the game. That is to say, like, a, a, a single truth that kind of brings 
um, stability to the play of meanings. And mm-hmm. uh, in, in Gossip, Gossip Girl, uh, and, and that this is a fantasy, that this, in fact, is, is, a, is a point that never, never actually comes. And in Gossip Girl, that is, that is definitely the case, that it never actually comes. Any arrangement, any power arrangement is entirely provisional. You know what I mean? There's no, there's no stability. Well, it's, um, it's, it's eternally contested, right? Yeah. Like, it's, it's contested and contestable. And that's, um, and that's the thing. Like, you know, we'll be, we'll be saying, hey, remember when Nate and Serena were... You know, or when remember when Dan and Vanessa were together, or remember when Serena and Dan were together. That that what is uh, that that every kind of um, every resolution uh, it turns out is provisional in Gossip Girl, and that's that's the way. I mean, it's this is kind of a weak interpretation, but that's the way it partakes in this uh, in this kind of thing that you're talking about. But sorry, I, I interrupted. But that's you. A, that, that raises an interesting question of how 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 will how do you get out of that? Like, how does Gossip Girl end? Like, either it goes eternally until all of the actors die, right, or they kill off all the characters because, like, I feel like they can't end that show without compromising that essential characteristic of the show. Well, this- Right. Is, uh, you know, this is um, yeah. This is the tension between the narrative world and the the kind of economic reality of serial drama on television, right? Like, uh, right. Uh, this is why it's hard to it's hard to make good TV. But, but I mean, right? They're, they can, they're, I don't see them doing a like you know the end of the season. They do a musical montage where it shows you know Nate goes on to become like the governor of New York, and uh, you know Serena like is like you know married and divorced several times. You know, it's like it's like the wire, right? This, the structures perpetuate themselves. It's, um, yeah, it's the it's the it's like right, like it's the end of a 1950s movie with a freeze frame of everyone and a you know. Yeah, I don't know. Here's, but, um... here's, I mean, I want to say something about this uh, with regard to skins, if if I can bring it back home. It seems to me that the the as I was watching it, it seemed to me that the kind of meta narrative of the Michelle episode was about the idea of kind of the one of being meant for somebody, hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and um, right, uh, the way that that Tony and Michelle are meant to be together. Remind me to talk about the death of Falstaff. Actually, when when. Uh, when Michelle reaches in in uh, Tony's shorts and tries to grab his dick, that 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 is a moment uh, almost directly cribbed from Shakespeare. Um, so wow, yeah. Well, oh. well, 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 let's just go, let's just go there now. Okay, so I want to read uh, I want to read a little bit from Henry V. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we, never, we, we never see the death of Falstaff. Um, uh, right, who who was the the kind of dominant spirit uh, of Henry the Fourth Part Part One and Two, and was the kind of anarchic, um, destabilizing uh, sort of false father who Prince Hal had to reject at the end of of Henry the Fourth Part Two uh, to become king, Henry the Fifth, and uh, sort of accept the lineage of his true father, you know, the uh, Henry the Fourth, and you know, put the crown on, put the crown on his head and things like this, um, but. He's, you know, he's where all the action is and is one of the best characters in Shakespeare. Anyway, so he, we never see him die. But uh, um, his death is reported to us by Mistress Quickly, who is like a wench, like a bar wench, in, uh, in Henry V, uh, Act 2, Scene 3. Um, and uh, this is a speech of some, of some 20 lines, but I'm going to read the whole thing. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty damn good. Anyway, so Mistress Quickly, the, the barmaid, says uh, about Falstaff, Nay, sure, he's not in hell. He's in Arthur's bosom. If ever man went to Arthur's bosom, he made a finer end and uh, went away, and it had been any uh, Kristen Chagat. <laughs> Isn't to- this your job? Yeah, I know. I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be good at this. Um, this is a, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this another go. Uh, yeah, it's, like, it's, like, it's like a carpenter building like a, a shack that falls over in like, you know, a week. <laughs> Make sure he's not in hell. He's in Arthur's bosom. If ever man went to Arthur's bosom, uh, he made a finer end. I'm actually going to modernize some of the things. It's technically a made a finer end and went away, and it had been any Christen, Christum child. I'm going to modernize. He made a finer end and went away. Uh, if it had been any Christian child. Uh, he parted even just between twelve and one, even at the turning of the tide. For after I saw him fundle, fumble with the sheets and play with flowers and smile upon his fingers' ends, I knew there was but one way, for his nose was as sharp as a pen, and he babbled of green fields. How now, Sir John, quoth I, what man, be a good cheer. 
I scrolled away from it. Uh, what man? Be a good cheer. So he cried out, God, 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 three or four times. Now, I, to comfort him, bid him that he should not think of God. I hope there was no need to trouble with himself with any such thoughts yet. So he bade me lay more clothes on his feet. I put my hand into the bed and felt them, and they were as cold as any stone. Then I felt to his knees, and they were as cold as any stone. And so upward and upward, and all was as cold as any stone. Falstaff is dead when his dick doesn't work anymore, right? And in a way, the old Tony is dead when his dick doesn't work anymore. And that's the, you know, that's, that's the kind of ingenious, that's the kind of ingenious thing about this. And it's, it's a pretty good narrative, uh, it's a pretty good uh, narrative device, right? Like, uh, is the relationship over? Well, reach in his pants and, and find out. Yeah, I mean, so it's interesting, though. I mean, it means that... Because we, we, we've definitely talked about the death of Tony, right? We've talked about the, the truck of inevitability or right. whatever it was uh, we called it. But, I mean, I'm wondering there's this an alternative. Was, the second one. Oh, no, yeah, the first truck was of inevitability. The second truck was the truck of reification. But never mind. Right, right, right. right. That's the, the Mercedes-Benz of reification. Um, um, I mean, there's an alternative explanation, right, which is that he's just not that into her. Um, <laughs> Um, and, and I mean, you see that there is, right, I mean, on one hand, he is, like, frustrated and concerned about his dick, but on the other hand, he does call her nips, right, and that's what sets her off, is that, like, he's, like, he, deliberately or not, um... He's, he's definitely remembering things and, as I was saying earlier, releasing them stra- strategically, right? So he's kind of fucking with her. Yeah, I mean, I don't, think he's, I don't think he's, like, willing himself... In, in only a figurative sense. In, in purely a figurative sense, right? Like, his, um, his, 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 his mind cock is, is firm and is turgid. Um, and, right, so he's, you see more of Tony alive, um, but just not the part of him that is, is his wang. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's interesting, though, because it's, because the, 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 there's also, I mean, we, we can move on and zoom out a little bit. We've been doing a pretty close reading of this scene and, and you know, uh, uh, d- uh, diversions into romantic poetry and, and Henry V. But I think there's, like, an interesting thing is Michelle's reaction, um, which is, is, you know, it's, you know, when he's failing to get hard, I mean, it's all of this, like, I mean, it, it comes back. It, it it really sets the stage very well. Of it's it's like a referendum on her, right? Sure. <laughs> his, well, and, his that's, la- and that's that's being a teenager. You know what I mean? That's that that sort of self absorption that Jordan was talking about the other day. That that he really mm-hmm. can't stand. But that is kind of part and parcel of being a being a teenager. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing about. Um, I mean, Michelle, I mean, I think we we see this more. I don't know if we had just not noticed this in the first. Um, season or it's coming out more is that you know each character has their own kind of awful aspects of teenagerhood kind of uh you know they 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 represent a aspect of the teenage uh, experience and and michelle is this um i mean i think this like extreme insecurity and need for social validation right um and a right you see this both in her reaction to um to, to Tony's uh, uh, impotence and also to the uh, introduction of the stepsister, right? Um, and, yeah. and that um, everything, you know, her, her sort of emotional state is defined on, uh, you know, based on the, atten- the level of attention that she has. Right? Well, it's, fu- it's funny. I mean, I w- I w- before we, we kind of detoured into Shakespeare, I was going to say that I think the meta-narrative of this episode is about, it's a, you know, it's an inquiry into the idea of, of there being a one, you know, there being sort of uh-huh. one person that you're meant for, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, whether it's Michelle and Tony or whether it's Sid and, and Cassie. And Sid is Cassie is interesting, like, because wh- wh- what is the meaning you know, in what sense of me- of the word meaning are they meant for each other? Because they were set up like, you know, it's another date rape malicious thing. Like Sid was set up to, you know, get a really high end date raper, right? Like in, in the first episode of this, uh, 
of this show. And and but in you know, in what sense are they like meant to be together? In what sense is it really a betrayal when uh you know, when she sees uh, uh him and Michelle making out? Um but but the the flip side of there being a one, right? Of there being one person for you is that you're the one person for someone, you know? That is to mm. say that you occupy all the attention. And yeah. you know, it strikes me that that Michelle is who sort of wishes for this more than anything is even even in early days when Tony was fucking around, she was still kind of very loyal to him, and uh, right because she was his one and he was her one. And um, you know, the 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 idea is that uh, uh, she's kind of defined by this, and it's constantly frustrated. This this um, uh, impulse, this impetus, uh, uh, you know, to to uh, be the center of attention is constantly frustrated. And it's interesting because actually, I think this works on a like to to move one level more meta um that actually this also is reflected in some sense in the um the narrative structure of skins itself right so so skins is serialized but it has this unique structure where each um uh episode is clearly centric on one character right so it's a, it's a it's a structure that actually um i mean another show that i can think of that used it really well an ensemble cast that had like weekly episodes where one character was the focal point is was lost right lost had um uh character centric episodes that focused on the the flashbacks yeah. um but this is a little different right where this is um within this crew of friends um this group of interlocking you know networked relationships they pull out one voice and you know they they still you know, there's very few episodes which like less that in which fewer than i mean i don't know if all characters always show up in every episode it'd be interesting to kind of look back and see but you know almost all of the characters show up in every episode um and so but like and that yeah, tendency, sometimes just as a crowd in the background you know what i mean sometimes just as right. a peanut gallery Right, but it's it's there, right? And and it's interesting because like it's like Michelle would like to be in the show where she's the, you know, the Blair or the Serena or the um or the Rachel and Glee, right? Um the the principal, right? Right? Um I guess Glee's also an ensemble and in and, and that but that is I mean Leah Michelle's still kind of the star, right? They're still principals. Yeah, well, um, but they, I I don't know. They they sometimes do, you know, they do the the um the gay episode and they do the shape. No, the that's, head right. that's right. That's right. They do, they do, do character centric episodes, but it's, it's less building, less the powerful. Structure, yeah, for sure. Right. And there's, I mean, both of those, um, like Glee and Gossip Girl have like an A team and a B team of characters, right? Um, yeah. you know, there's, and, and there's, there's varsity and JV or something like that. <laughs> um, whereas as in, in skins, I mean, there's a few, kinds of um you know jv characters um like the 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 their black friend um and yeah who only shows up every now and again right yeah and then then like the adults who might as well be you know well i don't know the adults are interesting um yeah the adults are getting a little more of a handle on things like t- you know tony's mom is exactly is sort of exactly right, given what she knows about the situation, right at the beginning, where it's like, yeah. I don't want you dicking around with him. He's, you know, he's in a fragile enough state as it is. Now, um, she doesn't know that his mind cock is turgid, but... But she's also not portrayed totally sympathetically, right? Also, like, she's, like, portrayed as... I mean, on one hand, it, like, the first episode back, I think it was actually a good portrayal of her as being, you know, this someone whose child has been through this traumatic thing this time she just seemed more like a little bit more of an asshole um but maybe that was my reading of it it was it she seemed it seemed to be more a little bit of this like parents just don't understand right whereas i don't know michelle's mom is an interesting case um i mean i think that I mean, what what is what's there to say about Michelle's mom? I mean, I guess it's it's an interesting reflection that every time I mean, we've only seen her twice, but there's this perception that she is moving from husband to husband, right? And there's a you know, I feel like Michelle must at least have a little bit of a sense of the you know the inexorable march of time, right? Well, it's uh, it's also like this is Michelle's mom is what happens when you don't find the one or when you're deluded mm-hmm. about. Uh, about what the one is. I mean, this right, is actually, she even like, says when she has this yeah, guy, right? Yeah. She says that he's the one. Um, he's the one. Like I know it. I feel it. You know. I didn't. I don't know what to make of that. Like the both the character of the new husband and the stepsister, especially when they're introduced. Um, I mean, I don't know if there's a. 
you know, um, I guess we, I know we have a sizable um, uh, number of listeners mind from across cock. the pond. Um, no, no, I, yes, yes, we do have a sizable veiny mind cock. But no, I was going to ask um, our, our British <laughs> listeners if there is a stereotype in like British society that this guy. It's, I mean, I guess it's just rich people. Um, yeah, or that he's. I mean, but he's rich people of a of a particular type. You know what I mean? He's he seems to be like out of his depth class wise. You know what I mean? He's not rich people in he's that. New, like, he's he's a, so he's it's like a kind of a nouveau riche. Kind yeah, of he's thing. a he's like a tech millionaire or something like that. I you know I don't know. And I mean, is he supposed to be kind of American or a, a parody of Americanism in some sense? It seems like it. It seems like it. Doesn't it seem like that? Yeah. Um. What well, with his. I don't know, his sort of, you know, uh, ersatz bohemian ways and uh, yeah, I don't know. What no, is, I, I mean, what are we, is that the, played for entirely, la- uh, entirely played for laughs is his horrible uh, relationship with his daughter where he's like motorboating or tits and, uh, and, I, and just all this awful stuff. Yeah, it was, it was, it was like, it was beyond like played for la- laughs. It like almost created this kind of sense of almost... It, it was just weird. It was, I mean, not even yeah. weird. It was, it was alienating in a sense. I mean, I'm not a big uh, Brecht person, but there's something about it that like created a weird. It was, it was a very, it like created um, an effect that was like very different from like a, the typical Skins episode. I mean, it's it's similar when he motorboated or tits is like Manfred's car slamming through the window or something like right. that. Um, it's like, it's, and it's, it's bringing in this like foreign body, um, very, very literally in this sense, but right, there is a sense that, you know, the characters, you know, by and large in the show are all, um, you know, this kind of self-contained middle class, um, middle class, working class, um, you know, urbanites. Um, and, and yet they like constantly engage with these, um, incursions from other cultures whether it's scottish or the german or like the russian um and and there's a or little the kind bit of, I mean, or the sort of trip-hop culture that the you know what i mean the kind of culture of the i i you know of the what west west indies immigrants right right but that's a lot more assimilated right so i think that i mean the the characters that are I mean, there's something to be said for like the characters that are are within the the central crew versus those that are um, more remain peripheral. Like even like um, you know, uh, Anwar is is assimilated in certain important ways. Even though you know his episode, or like the the finale episode from last season, um, is still about sort of separateness. It's also about a, a certain vision of. I mean, of multiculturalism um, that that in which certain kinds of assimilation and certain kinds of retaining of cultural identity are still pos- possible, right? right? And so that you have um, and 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 it, I mean this comes from there's certain theories of of immigration and assimilation, uh, you know, sociologically driven theories that have to do with social networks, right? And that and that being in these cross cutting, uh, multivalent, long term um, relationships. I mean that's what you know defines a, a community in the so- sociological sense, um, and so that um, assimilation is um, you know a a process of these these um, these these relationships branching out or you know basically um, a a home country um, either either uh, obtaining multiple entry into a host country um, social network right so that you know with this this group of a team characters in this case is a society right it's a microcosm of a society and it's integrated in that way and there it's very clear to see who is outside of that. Right. And I think what's interesting is that then there is, you know, there's so there's this cultural dimension of community, we of we ness. Uh, uh, and then there's a overlaid, um, you know, um, 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 age uh, generational uh, dynamic. Right. And it's interesting that for whatever reason, you know, there's some parents that can continue to communicate with their children. And even though they're not like hang- palling around with them, there's some that like are still part of the same community, even though they're of a different age set. Right. Um, in the, in the sense of, um, the societies that I work in, in East Africa, but there's others who actually, um, you know, 
in the process of aging, um, actually assimilate into another culture. They stop belonging to the same society or the same community as their children, right? Like Cassie's parents are a good example of this. I think Michelle's mom is a good example of this, right? So this, 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 this idea of, of sort of who you be, uh, belong to, and I, I think is reflected very much in the structure of, um, you know, in the in the sort of narrative structure of you know uh, and of the setup of there being a main cast, um, and it, and there's like a very important social um, component to that um, and how that setup works in the meaning of the show. I think that's all exactly right. Um, well, okay, good. Then we can move on. <laughs> Uh, do, should we go on the camping trip? Um, yeah, I mean, is there anything else that we want to talk about in the uh, in in the house in the new house? Um, well, what or... is the, uh, yeah, I mean, the, do you want to talk about the slapstick of the um, uh, of the the blinds bit? I li- I liked music. I thought music better was a good and better music comes on. I thought that was a good joke. Yeah, it's it's. it's though, do I imagine our listeners are all now saying podcast better? <laughs> and uh, well, then let's let's comply. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> Compliance. Uh, uh, you remember flight of the? Never mind. Uh, wow, flight of the navigator. Yeah. Uh, well, the the thing where you know Michelle gets what gets revealed to the world. There's 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 something about. I think you were saying this in the pre-show. There's something about bodies and uh, sort of the, the the revelation of bodies. Um, you know, Michelle pulls off her shirt to kind of. To test Tony and the thing, and then she gets kind of uh, unintentionally revealed to God and everybody, all the passersby, when the blinds open without her her knowing how to. Uh, and there's and there's the the hot skinny dipping. Yeah, there's skinny dipping. There's onward skinny dipping. Oh yeah, oh. and then there's the skinny dipping in the hot tub where it's, oh, yeah. where it's kind mm-hmm. of it, where it's kind of creepy. And then there's there's Anwar, yeah, getting tricked into. Uh, taking his clothes off and then running, screaming "Al Akbar" uh, into the, into the water, right? Yeah. Um, and then everyone does it. Then all the white kids are like "Al Akbar, Al Akbar," you know, as they as they run into the water. The world is flat, man. What can I say? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then there's yeah, it's the it's the Volvo and the olive tree, right? Yeah, lat- latitudes and platitudes. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that um, – yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I mean that, there's an interesting thing about um, – I, I actually even saw this like you know, reflected in – and maybe um, – there's – I mean especially in the – I think the Michelle scene with the, with the, the blinds revealed to me is like the way that – you know, it's like the relationship between a body and a home, right? Um, and yeah. I actually think that this even comes full circle in the end um, of the um, episode. I mean, what's it, I think that Sit's home is is very interesting. Um, you know, not only for the reasons that we talked about in the last episode, but like Sid's house is one that, like, for whatever reason, is not like a private space, right? That, that people barge in, like, this is not the first time that Cassie has just shown up on Sid's bed. Um, right. you know, it's happened multiple times. Um, you know, uh, last episode we had Anwar and sketch, uh, banging in, in Sid's bed. Right. Um, several times, Tony, uh, last, uh, season, Tony stole Sid's dad's car. Um, right. You know, it's kind of like a public space, right? It's like a, it's a de facto public good. Isn't it's there, non, it's yeah. non-excludable. Was it not your Was it not your experience in high school that there was one kid whose house was like that, where you could just go? You know, uh, no, or in no. Or, or in college. I mean, weren't there certain dorm rooms that were kind yeah, of? Yeah, that's that's there's there certainly were there 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 certainly were dorm rooms or um, you know um, apartments, um, right? You know. Like the Kelly House, yeah, the Kelly uh, House, or seventeen seventy two, which which is a before my time, yeah, before my time that's, that predates you. Though there was drama over over uh, seventeen seventy two when one of the um, uh, one of the residents sent out an email to everyone that was like, "You can't come over to my house anymore. It's no longer a de facto public space." Huh. Um, yeah, uh, because he was a, a big fucking douchebag. But 
you know, live and learn. But, uh, you know, right, like th- that this is this is, I think, something that happens. And I think it's supposed to say something about the character of of Sid and his late father. Right. That like that they were kind of impotent to prevent this. Um, well, well, right. I mean, it's like the work of um it's 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 like the work of um Nobel laureate Eleanor Ostrom, right? Um that who's who's primarily worked on the commons, right? And and dilemmas of the management of common pool resources. Um and and her whole a lot of her work um um, the, the the sort of seminal work is governing the commons, um, and it, which responds to this idea of a tragedy of the commons, right? The idea of the tragedy of the commons is in you know English, um, you know boroughs, English towns. There would be a common place, um, and it, it was observed by um, I think an economist named Garrett Hardin that well these commons are will be overgrazed because if it's it's if it's open access, um, you can you know everyone abuses it. Everyone wants to feed their cows as much as possible and will deplete it. Um, and and Ostrom's principal argument and contribution is that no, in fact, um, that that people it's possible under certain circumstances to to evolve uh, institutions to govern these spaces, right? And so that so that what's interesting is that it's not inevitable, right? It's not inevitable that that the, these spaces are are home are are, are you know that, that, that overgrazed his dad's, that that are overgrazed sexually overgrazed, um, yeah. but there is something about this. Um, you know their abilities to to self govern right and to to assert themselves in in um in in their in their social circles and I mean, we, does we that, definitely does, that. does that in in uh, Ostrom's argument does this require the emergence of a coercive third party or like of a third party i.e. the mm-hmm. state that can use violence in a coercive no, way no I, it, that's the I think that's the really um oh, so this is this is a this is your old hobby horse of how uh this <laughs> of how, my, she's, <laughs> look she's my intellectual like you know grandmother mother. <laughs> How, I mean, uh, how, how forms of order can emerge endogenously from? Yeah, uh, no, she's really one of the uh, the pioneers in this um, um, in in this in this field, um, and I think that in fact, um, what's cool is that it's probably way more. I mean, you know, what I'm a lot of my own. Um, work that's not about turgid mindcocks uh, is, is about is is about showing that this actual this the these um, these uh, evolving and sort of um, self regulated and self maintained uh, forms of governance are even much more pervasive uh, relevant to many more spheres of life than uh, even uh, the maintenance of um, uh, of, of common pool resources in in small scale societies, right? So that there's that I mean, and and a lot of these themes come up throughout the show. This is one that's really, um, really, really relevant, though. Is that um, you know the uh, private? I think what's what's interesting here is that um, privateness and publicness is socially constructed, and it's and it's by mutual agreement, right? So that. Sure. Um, you know, it wouldn't do anything to call the cops, right? Um, to to get these people to, to get these people out of there. Um, I mean, it's in a similar sense, what you, something that you see in the world of Gossip Girl is that almost everybody goes into everybody else's houses at at will, right? It's one, it's part of one public space, right? Or one, it's like it's what it is is that they are in a realm. It's like almost like a private realm of which they are all inhabitants, right? And sure. so that. It's like there are, like, you know, there's the public space of, like, the streets of the Upper East Side of Manhattan, and then there's a, a, a second layer um, public space that are, are these islands, right, of, of, of a, of a um, like, islands in the sky, essentially. Yeah, that, right, that are kind of linked by, by mutual agreement, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, within that, though, I think we have to distinguish between sort of um, uh, concentric circles of privacy, right? Like, I think mm. Blair, I think you can be on the ground floor in Blair's apartment, but you can't uh, go up the stairs to her room, right? That's, that's beyond the pale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That that this you know, or I think the same thing. I mean, the same thing is true of Rufus and Lily's house. And again, it's kind of mediated through a trope of uh, of ascent and descent. Um, you know, from the high mm-hmm. the high mm-hmm. sort of private mm-hmm. space within mm-hmm. the semi public space down into the you know down into the the great hall, as it were. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's definitely right, and so and I I think you see that though, and I think that again the Michelle moment of the blind of blinds up um, really reflects that. I mean, and I think that a lot of this has to do with this. You know, this is a 
it's, it's it's almost neither a house nor a home, right? It's this kind of post-industrial space, um, and and so the moment where this you know the technology subverts her and and sort of reveals her body, right? And um, and then there's also, also, I mean, there's also a relationship of like domestic labor, right? Because aside from the two mm-hmm. ladies who are kind of out beyond the driveway, I, I was I was struck by who is watching when the blinds. Uh, go up, and one one is the new stepfather, uh, you know, um, who plays it off like it's nothing. But aside from two ladies who happen to be passing by, it's all domestic labor. It's like a gardener and uh, some movers, and mm-hmm. you know what I mean, and things like this. And so the the kind of the relationship of um, uh, oh, the relationship of privacy to domestic labor is something that is kind of at at play here as well. No, I think that's I think that's definitely. Um... I think that's definitely correct. Well, it's interesting is that it's the domestic laborers are the, are the most, um, you know, react to it the most strongly, right? Whereas actually, the stepdad. What's interesting about the stepdad's reaction is that he's not he's neither he's not he's neither embarrassed. Like I mean, it's like the 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 reaction Michelle would least want because it's like, oh hi. <laughs> This is normal. Yeah. Not like not desiring you at all. Well, not, neither neither desiring nor sort of shocked, which is the right. kind of the flip side of desiring. Like Right, exactly. Like, exactly. You know. Yeah. Um okay, can we go on the camping trip now? Maybe. Maybe. What is it about this show and and dunking the cars in water? Huh. Right? This is the second car that's gone under. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. <laughs> okay, <laughs> moving on then. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't have any deep, uh, um, deep, deep insights on that. I mean, I guess it's a. Uh, I mean, it could just be lazy writing, right? Like, it's like, I mean, it's also. But I mean, you could also zoom out, like, lo- like, like things happening to cars or cars doing things to other things are like a major narrative device in this, uh, in, in skins, right? Like cars make things happen or things happening to the vehicle, um, are a big, are a big issue. Right. I'm thinking well, also about to- Tony and Manfred. Um, well, yeah. And, I mean, and getting a car, can you get a car? Can we steal your, your dad's right. car? And, and there's lots of time we... riding on buses. Sure. Uh, well, right, exactly, because a, a car isn't a given. I mean, I grew up in, in Los Angeles where someone having a car was a given because there's no way to get around the city otherwise. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's uh, uh, there's public transportation, but it's crappy. It's, you know, and it's it's all buses. It's dependent on the streets, um, and the streets are the problem anyway. It's not like there's a system of trains like in like in New York, though I guess they're, they're going in that direction now. But... Um, uh, you know, a car, a car was a given, a car was just an extension of walking around, you know, and it was not, it was kind of not a special, uh, thing in skins. Uh, having a car is a special thing. Like we, we can't have the vacation. Um, we can't have the camping trip, uh, without Scarlett's enormous Volvo. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, when she says I have an enormous Volvo, which is a little on the nose even for this show, but the, you know, there you have it. Or, um, you know, like, uh, how are we gonna? How are we gonna save Cassie? Who like oh, oh, we think she OD'd at the posh kids' party? Well, the um, the Polish exchange student is going to uh, uh, you know steal one of the cars, right? And there's yeah. a character who I wish came back, by the way. Yeah, um, she's probably off with Mad Madison Twatter somewhere. <laughs> um. Well, I, he may have gotten killed. You know, he, he like Jal's dad may have uh, uh, sorted him out. Yeah, I guess so. That's too bad. I, 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 I maybe I'll write some Ma- Ma- Madison Twatter um, fanfic um, <laughs> because that's I think my deepest uh, deepest sadness about Skins is that he's not made a return. Um, I mean, I don't know the camping trip. I, I don't know. It's interesting. I feel like the camping trip is like a lot just kind of unwinds there. Like um, I feel like the the. Um, I mean, what 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 did you find interesting about well, the- a, a, a couple of things I found interesting? We did one is um, not to not to keep beating this, uh, not to keep beating off this horse, but um, the the song that Scarlett sings and that Sketch joins in, and it's funny that the two people who sing, you know, the two people who perform are the two kind of foreign bodies in the group, right? Are the two kind mm-hmm. of outsiders? Um, that song is called "If 
uh, it's by um, Daniel Bedingfield, and the title of the song is "If You're Not the One." And the kind of huh. so the the rhetorical structure of the song is: If you're not the one, then why am I sad? If you're not the one, then why this? If you're not the one, then why why am I so miserable? Blah 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 blah. And that's how I mean it's, it just sort of rings the changes on on. Uh, on that theme, so it sort of it, it partakes in in what I think is the kind of the sort of shadow narrative of this episode. But there's there's also something in the in the shadow narrative that you've identified, which is about the kind of the the revelation of bodies and uh, about revelation and recognition uh, and attention. Um, in the conversation after uh, Scarlet tries to seduce Sid uh, and and is unsuccessful, um, you know, Michelle says to her something like. Oh, you're not really a bitch, are you? You know, and she says, "No, I, you know, I just play one on television." Or, or right, right, or, or right, words to that effect. And and there's a sense, and it's it, this is not this is not the greatest moment, even in this TV, you know, even in this TV series. Um, but uh, there's a there's a moment here where the writers are getting at something that has to do with something like. Uh, the re- the revelation of something deeper than skin, you know what I mean? Uh-huh, uh, of, uh-huh. of that there that there's kind of an essential character uh, that has been obscured and then kind of obscured again, you know, uh, that is being revealed, and kind of Michelle can see it in Scarlet because in a way, uh, Scarlet is a, a different class, sort of. Um, slightly more successful version of of what Michelle is, you know. They're they're kind of they they are reflections of each other through a glass darkly, or through a you know through a class glass darkly, if you will. Right, and well, and, and there's a certain sense of I mean, this is an interesting theme, right? On one hand, of um, self recognition, right, and 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 self awareness, or the the idea of self, but it's in you know in as opposed to in Glee, where a lot of um, expression of self is through song right it's how you hear or see yourself um and whether you know as as refracted through the sound in your own head the auto-tuned sound in (laughs) your uh in your own head right i mean this is like much more like um hegel right like hegel of like only seeing yourself truly in like in the reflection in the eyes of another person yeah right um and and i think that um i mean especially i think the the michelle episode really um really plays with this and i think you're absolutely right um because it's interesting because at first when i was watching the scarlet character i felt like it was almost like weird acting or writing right because like basically the three right we see scarlet like there's we see three scarlets um in the episode and they're increasingly more intimate right we see like the original scarlet is um is like is bratty scarlet like right bratty posh scarlet um and then we get like she moves to into the social sphere and that's with her father um and then moves to the social sphere with the the guys and she's like flirty bosomy fun scarlet and then she's um and, and then and then she's um you know vulnerable insecure um attention craving scarlet right um, and at first, I just thought like, "Oh, this is totally this is this is lazy writing." Yeah, this is totally inconsistent. Yeah. Um, and then I thought, "No, wait a second. Let's uh, let's look for the meaning here, because I'm not someone just to throw this lazy writing um, slander out lightly." Absolutely. <laughs> you make positive, not normative claims. Um, that's right. That's right. Um, I keep it positive. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so I don't know. But so I think that when what you're saying is, I mean, your your explanation there gives a gives it a gives a little bit of a, th- a theory to hang that on, right? That that um, that in fact you're seeing, and it makes sense that you know the self is reflected. Like there is some kind of a core, but it's also refracted through different social dynamics, yeah, right? There, so there, there are certain there are certain aspects of personality that are context dependent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and that this is this is the sort of thing that if you ever actually know teenagers um, that they can't stand. Right. Because like, uh, you know, adolescence is a time of kind of coming to terms with abstractions and, and trying to kind of make some decisions about uh, about your character and about what kind of character you want. And, uh, you know, not to generalize, but but by and large, you know, they want things to be consistent, you know, which mm-hmm. is why which is why hypocrisy or like what Holden Caulfield called being a phony. A, yeah. Is 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 the the worst sin. 
Well, you know? right, and and it fits into this 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 um, discourse of uh, or in the rhetoric of authenticity, right? Yeah. Well, right. Exactly. Exactly. This is you know this is something that we've talked about a lot in Glee. Like, what is the self? Is the self something that is socially constructed? Is it something that is an essential quality of you? Uh, is it something that you can make decisions about? You know that you can make decisions to. Um, uh, to alter, and I think we're kind of—I I mean, I think that that we're we're kind of edging up on what Skin's uh, position uh, is on this. Yeah, I think that's—I think that's right, um, and I think that's interesting because then that also—I mean, it—it it, it also where where does that leave this with, with respect to this idea of the one yeah. um, that we're talking about? Um, because if that's the case, like. <laughs> I mean, especially, you know, and I think this is a good way to end because, um, you know, we see Michelle uh, ending up with Sid. And we kind of know that this, I mean, you know, I, th- I think we kind of know. That, I, well, that I knew because I read Wikipedia, but. Yeah, I mean, so did I. And so it's kind of hard. I mean, this is actually, as much as I, you know, we've made our, um, um, our, our, case on spoilers very clear this is like a case where i actually am trying to do the thought experiment of what what would i think how would have i received this happening um you know if i didn't know how it was going to end would it still seem like this is a a detour um so you know if you're a listener and you were someone who watched either watch skins as it aired or um you know kept yourself um free spoiler free um i'd I'd love to hear what you're thinking or or if we just spoiled it for you um spoiler alert um sid and and, uh michelle don't don't ask i think we i think we've we've talked about it before so it's i think so so um i mean i'd be interested to hear whether this is clear because to me it's like oh well I mean, it's it's an interesting thing right because like you kind of know that it's not going to last no Um, yeah, yeah yeah That right. And, that 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 there's going to be some kind of explosion in that that the kind of the order is going to be reformed somehow mm-hmm. by this kind of Cassie, uh, you know. It's you know it's funny in social situations if you know somebody like Michelle who's kind of very needy of attention and has been in a kind of stable relationship where their needs have been supplied, uh, even if it's not the healthiest relationship in the world, like any relationship with Tony, and that person is suddenly kind of cut loose. You know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That, that person can have a really destabilizing effect on a sure. on a social group, and I, you know, what, I, I'll bet there's something similar in international relations where, you, you know, what I mean, when a kind of when a crucial alliance is severed, right? Sure, like um, the 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 balance of power for a whole region or for the whole globe can kind of be upset. Sure, I mean, this is definitely one of the big ideas of realist international relations theory, um, stemming from, uh, starting with Kenneth Waltz's theory of international politics, um, and and that says the main thing that um, that changes, right? So that the 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 main shift that you have is the um, within a condition of anarchy is in the distribution of capabilities, right? And in the in the polarity, basically, so that um, the the you know, number of major units, you know, the great powers, or in this case, you know, you can think of an alliance as a unit, um, you know, affecting uh, stability. Yeah. So I think that's definitely, that's definitely right. And and I think it, it, I think it, it remains to be seen, you know, what if you're not the one, I mean, I think that in, in the relationship, uh, I, I think it's going to be an open question for an episode of two, uh, episode or two, where where it kind of comes down on this sort of romantic idea of, you know, there being a one or there being someone that you're 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 kind of meant to be with, and how do you you know how do you how do you kind of continue living when your illusions are are shattered about what, um, uh, about what life is is like about. But it's already. I mean, it's already moving towards a little bit. I mean, one moral or one possible interpretation is a you know if you can't be with the one you love love the one you're with right yeah sure. and it's 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 so it's a it's there it's a again um it's a interplay between structure and agency right or between individual and sort of dyadic constructions of of self right um yeah so i don't know it'll be interesting to see so one thing i actually don't know is it'll be interesting to see the trajectory of michelle because i don't think she gets back together with with tony but um i mean we don't it's unclear um i mean so she thinks i mean it seems like right you know there's this um as you i think in the show notes or in the google wave um 
you mentioned, you know, that, you know, she sleeps with Sid and wakes up and, and goes skinny dipping, right? And you said it's like a baptism, right? Yeah, so that's that in the waves, yeah. So she sees that there's like a, uh, like, you know, so it started with a death, right? It started with a funeral for Tony and Michelle, and it ended with like a birth, a rebirth, and a baptism, right? And so there's certainly, at least um, in her perception, she's been able to, you know, become born again, um, but not in the sense in that, in that it's used, but in, in a sense of, you know, for her, the, you know, her religion, her meaning is in, in, um, in the one, right? And so she, belie- I think she believes, I don't know whether she, well, believes- yeah. And this, this thing, I don't know where to take the status, the status of this, like, uh, uh, no one has ever made me come before, right. That she says to Sid before the, yeah. you know, before the end of the episode, like, is this the one, is this the sign of the one? Is this the, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I, uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, I speak of, I speak of the boyfriend. You know, necessary but not sufficient, maybe. Um. <laughs> Condition. I speak of the boyfriend who is to come after me, the one who, you know, the merest gyrations of whose, whose fingers I am not worthy to, <laughs> to contemplate. But John, you know who is... John, you know, John, John the boner. Um. <laughs> you know who is worthy to contemplate it? Our listeners. If you want to contemplate anything, you know you can email us at tftpodcast at overthinkingit.com. That's the, the email for this show, tftpodcast. Podcast. I think I said it wrong before. Uh, at overthinkingit.com. Uh, or call 20 fat jog zero one. That's two zero three two eight two eight five six four zero one. God, I am high today. I am like small dick Chris. <laughs> Which I think is next episode, right? Is small dick Chris. Yeah. Um Yeah, yeah, it is. Gonna be gonna be exciting. Um if you'd like, you can also text us two oh three two eight five six four zero one. And uh if you want to text us uh a sexy red top um or write some hot beard on beard action with the uh <laughs> the Stokes Sheely slash fic. Uh you know we are um we are up or, for that. or Matt Rather himself slash fic. <laughs> I'm afraid that's the that's the only kind uh, anyone could abide. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, until next week, uh, when we'll be doing, uh, well, I guess we're just doing one more episode, episode five. Um, uh, well, keep uh, keep overthinking. Keep uh, keep you know governing the commons. Uh, keep having your theory of international politics. Keep um, <laughs> keep living under the sweater and over the bra in the liminal space. In the liminal space. <laughs> keep dying like false death. <laughs> uh, <laughs> these fucking teenagers. teenagers.